Welcome to Aging in Place Strategies and Answers with Linda Prio. Will it be possible to remain in my home as I age? Do I feel safe in my home? How do I figure out how much support I will need when my health needs start to change? What if I decide to move into a community instead? Which community will meet my needs now and in the future? Who will play a role in helping me with decision-making? Do you ask yourself these same questions? Aging in Place Strategies and Answers can help you gain practical knowledge that will help you create your own Aging in Place Roadmap. If you are already a care partner, a power of attorney, or in crisis mode with your Aging in Place strategy, you will learn what you need to know that you don't know. For over 20 years, I have been marketing Aging in Place services to clients and educating families and healthcare professionals in how to put aging in place strategies into place. When you utilize aging in place, you are allowed to choose where you want to live and make those decisions so that you can retain your quality of life. Welcome back to Aging in Place Strategies and Answers. As a young child, when I traveled with my parents, I frequently asked, are we there yet? And when they told me we were not there yet, I always asked, how much longer do you think it's going to take? With the advances in navigation, you can usually see an ETA or an estimated time of arrival as soon as you pull up your navigation Put in your route, and that way you'll know about when you're going to arrive. As someone who is always on the road for business or travel, I have learned to appreciate my navigation confirming that I have arrived at my destination. Healthcare has also been on the move away from a medical care model to a patient centered care model, but we just aren't there yet. And I'm not sure when we will be. In today's podcast, I want you to be thinking about your answers to the following questions because that will allow you to evaluate how well your team, your healthcare team, is progressing toward a patient centered care model. And really, it's all about you. You're the most important thing in the center of a patient centered care model and no one is more concerned about your health than you are. So let's start with my list of questions. As a patient, do you feel that your health team takes the time to listen to you and to learn your concerns, your fears, or your health goals? Do you feel that you're given enough information about your condition or your diagnosis to understand what is going on, what could be the cause, and what actions you can take to live with the diagnosis, or how to make lifestyle changes. Oh, we're going to be talking about lifestyle changes in greater detail 
in the future. So stay tuned. Does your team explain what medications are being prescribed, what they are for, and what to look for, and how long to take them? If you have medical tests ordered, as a patient, do you understand the reason tests are being ordered? What should you expect during the test? And who will communicate the information or the results of the test to you? And what the time frame will be that you should expect those results? If you have had a hospital stay, do you know and understand what the roles of the people that you met during your hospital stay had in that healthcare setting? Did you or your support system have access to the hospitalist, the care manager, or physical therapist to learn more about your diagnosis and next steps? Was your support system informed on the role they would have at discharge and post-discharge? As a patient, were your physical care needs met while you were at the hospital or during a rehab stay when you required extra assistance? Were your personal care needs, such as toileting, showering, or other personal hygiene items taken care of promptly and efficiently while you were in the hospital or at rehab? Was the discharge process explained to you or your support system? Did you understand the post-hospital or rehab stay follow-up process with your primary care physician or specialist? Were you informed of what your insurance would pay or not pay and what your financial obligations would be? Now, I know that was a lot of questions. It was a full list, and I tried to go slowly, and I'm sure you were ticking off the answers in your head. But my educated assumption is that there were failings along the way, and many have gotten caught in poor communication and poor memory of the situation. I'm not saying that you have a poor memory, but studies have shown that 40 to 80% of the medical information patients are told during office visits is forgotten immediately. And nearly half of the information retained is retained incorrectly. My goal with any of the podcasts that I present is for you to gain knowledge. When you have knowledge, you reduce your stress and anxiety over the unknown or unanswered questions. If you do not remember anything else from today's podcast, Please remember this. Do not leave your common sense at the front door of the hospital, a doctor's visit, a medical test, the pharmacy, or any other healthcare setting. It is okay to ask questions. However, being rude or disrespectful or difficult will not help in any situation. My mother always told me, You can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. And I tried to remember that. 
People will be helpful if you are kind and appreciative. As my mother's advocate, I learned how to ask questions and be kind at the same time that I wanted to scream about the answers I was being given. You can learn to do it too. In 2001, healthcare started shifting from a medical model of care to a patient-centered care model because decades of research demonstrated that when patient values and patient preferences are prioritized, the patient will engage more in their treatment and lifestyle changes that can lead to better health outcomes. Research also showed that hospitals and medical practices that implemented patient-centered care were able to report lower readmission rates and fewer ER visits, plus a faster recovery rate for their patients. Let's first understand what a medical model of care looks like. From the National Institute of Health, the medical model will be focused on a diagnostic approach to medicine. That means diagnostics and tests will help the physician establish a diagnosis. Once the diagnosis is clear, the medical model puts their focus on the diagnosis and treating the symptoms. The focus is on how to relieve the patient of symptoms and restore a patient to health as quickly as possible. The medical model has worked and is working, but if you noticed, the focus on treatment was on symptoms and not the patient. Thus, ER or emergency room visits and hospital readmissions cost the patient and healthcare millions of dollars and do not produce better health outcomes. For over 20 years in healthcare, I noticed that poor communication and a siloed medical system did not take in all the individual factors of the patient. The National Institute of Health says that the medical model has failed to deliver better health outcomes because the model has failed to recognize the diversity and the individuality of the patient. And the emphasis has been put on diagnostics as medical related technology has improved. Medical insurance has also increased constraints such as limited physician access, shortened visit times, shorter hospital stays, and reduced or unapproved rehab stays. All of this has led to more frustration between the doctor and the patient, which has led to an overall diminished faith in medicine. Now, I want to stop here and say that not only are patients frustrated, but so are physicians, because this is not how they would like to practice medicine. 
I want to give you a quick illustration about a patient who goes to the emergency room after a fall and the diagnostic tests show that dehydration is the main cause of the fall. The patient is admitted and treated for dehydration. The patient is educated on how they must increase their fluid intake and encouraged to follow up with their physician. The patient returns home after a short hospital stay where they mostly were in bed and not walking or getting in and out of bed and gets settled back into their home. The patient is weak from being in the bed for their brief hospital stay and reverts back to their same old routine. What do you think is going to happen based on what we just discussed about our ability to remember information at the time of hospitalization and discharge? Well, you guessed it. The patient readmits to the hospital at a future time for another fall. Now, upon discharge, the support system realizes that some interventions probably need to be put in place to keep their loved one from readmitting. So these are usually the obvious next steps. The patient's family asks why they don't drink enough water and says they have to drink more water. The patient's family brings them home from the hospital, gets them settled back into their home, buys them a great big water bottle, puts a marker on the bottle showing how much water they need to drink each day, and puts up signs in the kitchen and the bathroom reminding them to drink water. They probably even put water on the bedside table, thinking surely this will solve the problem. And sometimes it does. But even in a simple situation like this one, there can be readmissions, and emergency room visits. Because have we really figured out why the patient isn't or doesn't want to drink water? Perhaps they don't remember the instruction from day to day. Maybe they don't have the capacity to remember this instruction. Has the patient had some education about how coffees and teas and sodas and the things that they like to drink, even though they're wet, can be dehydrating? Could any of their medications be a contributing factor to the dehydration? And is the patient too weak after the hospital stay to stay on top of their medical situation? Great questions, right? Something to consider the next time you have someone you're bringing home from the hospital. In a medical model, the typical medical visit includes a doctor or other highly trained professional who will make decisions based on their evaluation of signs and symptoms. They then prescribe treatments or medications to address the symptoms. The follow-up appointment if a patient does in fact do the follow-up, can help the health provider assess the outcome of the treatment or the medication prescribed. The patient's role in the medical model is to comply with the advice given by the professional. 
This model has a paternalistic approach where the patient is told what is best and what the course of treatment will be, and they are not the decision maker. Like I have said, by 2001, healthcare started shifting from a medical model of care to a patient-centered care model. The goals of a patient-centered healthcare model are to empower patients to become more active participants in their care. This model requires that physicians, technologists, and other health care providers develop good communication skills and address patient needs effectively. Decades of research have demonstrated that when patient values and patient preferences are prioritized, the patient engages more in their treatments leading to better health outcomes. Furthermore, hospitals and medical practices that implement patient-centered care report lower readmissions, fewer ER visits, and faster recovery for the patient. Please try to remember the initial questions that I asked and keep assessing if your healthcare team is learning your preferences, your values, and that your needs are being considered. If you can see that they are not there yet in a patient-centered care model, that is where you as the patient can speak up and communicate your needs. Let me give you another illustration. Here is a story I heard a couple of weeks ago. A patient was having prostate issues that hospitalized him at least two times. Upon follow-up with his physician, he was unable to reduce his reliance on a catheter. When he asked his doctor about next steps, The physician told him he would have to self-cath for the rest of his life. He told his physician, I absolutely refuse to live like that, and surely there is another option. I am happy to report that his physician thoughtfully prescribed another solution that was successful, and that this person has not had any hospitalizations related to his prostate issues. As a result, the patient recommends his urologist to everyone, and he sings his praises. Let's review how this interaction produced positive results for both the physician and the patient and illustrates patient-centered care. The patient listened to his physician and expressed his opinion on how he wanted to live. The physician allowed his patient to express his thoughts and concerns. The physician heard his patient and then recommended another option in treatment. The patient chose the treatment option that aligned with his choices for quality of life. The treatment the physician recommended was successful for this patient. The physician practiced good medicine, and the patient feels like he has a physician who listens to him and whom he can trust in the future. 
Before I end for today, I know I've given you a lot of questions to think through. I've given you a couple of illustrations. And in the next podcast, we're going to be looking more in depth at a patient-centered care model and a typical office visit with a physician. But I do want you to continue to dwell on these questions. I am not opposed to having a physician who used diagnostic tests to figure out what is actually going on and to give me ideas on treatment. But I do want to be involved in my own health care and I do want to understand what is going on so that I can make an educated decision. And that's called informed consent. Informed consent is the process in which a healthcare provider educates a patient about the risks, the benefits, and alternatives of a given procedure or intervention. Join me again next week and we'll learn more. Thank you for joining me today. Please remember that this podcast is intended as guidance and not advice. Share this podcast with friends and family who are currently in crisis mode or with people who would like to start developing their own roadmap for aging in place. Listeners, if you would like a deeper dive into a topic discussed during a podcast, please subscribe to Aging in Place Strategies and Answers where you will be able to access premium content. Or if you would like to suggest a topic for this podcast, please contact me at lynda.agingstrategies at gmail.com. As always, I value the time you spend with me.